Welcome to Circular Firing Squad. I'm Hannah Gentius Flower, a member of the voice faculty at the Aurora School of Music and doppelganger host for Circular Firing Squad. I told my dad that I'd really like to call it Spherical Murder Party, but he thought that might be confusing. We've got six members, six questions, and six answers for each question. Questions are generated by each squad member and run from profound to the provocative. Each regular squad member has selected their doppelganger to sit in for them this episode. I'm sitting in for my dad, Marty Gensius, regular host for CFS. Let's learn who we have for the rest of the regular squad. Nikki? Hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Perry. I am the wife of Eric Perry. I'm Gabriella Rayblick, and I am the sister of Gina Martin. I'm Jim Martin, and I'm Stephanie Martin's dad. I'm uh, Brady Ingersoll. I'm Elliot's son. I don't really have any special titles or anything. Someone's going to leave it at that. I'm Drew Teague. I'm uh, the college friend of Jen that she never managed to quite shake. And now let's get started. The first question goes to Nikki. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? The best piece of advice that I've ever been given is to keep a positive mental attitude because self-talk and your brain is your strongest muscle. The best piece of advice I've been given was don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. Keeps you from overreacting, I think. Uh, I've been handed a piece of paper that says the worst vice is advice. I guess that's him ghostwriting for me. I'm going to go on my own tangent here. I tend not to give life advice because I live my life in a very atypical way. And like, I also have ADHD, so the way I'm wired is not conducive to the way most people live their lives. So things that I might find are completely alien to most other people. So I tend to steer away from that vector of conversation. These are all really great pieces of advice. Um, Mine, I've got two because I'm obnoxious. Um, The first in a counseling context um, was told to me by someone we all know and love, but who'll remain nameless. And that is come from a place of curiosity. I think that's such good problem solving and difficult people solving advice. Um, The second one is that I think advice often comes to us in the form of, if I were you, I would do whatever. And so if the person giving that advice is more interested in telling their own story than listening to yours, don't take that advice. (laughs) Um, The best piece of advice that I've ever been given is to not tell people what I don't know. Um, I was about a week into uh, the job that I have now, um, teaching private voice lessons. um, And I had had all of these trial lessons with students and in my, um, in my excitement to let them know what they were getting, I kept telling them that I couldn't play piano. And my boss very kindly sat me down and said, no one cares what you don't know. They care what you do know. And you don't even know what you don't know because you're probably better at that than you think you are. And that's something that I try to, um, I find it myself anytime that I'm frustrated by a situation or I feel like I am not being successful in some direction that I want to go. If I start to think, okay, well, what do I actually know? And what am I actually frustrated by? 
kind of changes things. Mine isn't necessarily a piece of advice that I've ever received, um, but words that I like to live by, and that is um, from Mother Teresa to spread love everywhere and always leave people happier than when you found them. Um, I live for that. I am, my husband will tell you, I drive him insane because I, I love servant leadership um, in my job. Um, and, and I kind of, that making everyone happy um, is something that I just love so much. And I try to do every day. I mentioned, I just like to finish up because I left something important out of my answer. I said that the best piece of advice was not to sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. I wish I could live by that. Somehow it, it's always harder than it, it seems. And I just wanted to say that it was great advice. I wish I could take it and use it in my life a lot more often. Okay, I will give the next question, which is, if you could learn another language overnight, what would it be? Right now, the world being the way it is, Chinese is an obvious and too obvious an answer. But I understand that language kind of shapes your worldview. You're, the language that you speak and the ideas that come out of it shape your worldview. And I think in view of that, in order to get a, a totally different view or a totally different image, something on the order of perhaps Hindi or some non-romance language. And Hindi or perhaps uh, Arabian, you know, uh, a language, as I said, a non-romance language that might be important. That might give you a different view of yourself and the world around you. Personally, I'd say Polish is a pick for me because my family comes, so it'd be interesting to kind of get to know that culture a bit more. Also, I feel like Polish is a language that's just obscure enough in the area I live in that I could just be swearing at it constantly. Nobody would know what I'm saying. That's fantastic. Speaking of Polish, does anyone remember Esperanto when that was a thing? <laughs> this language, like in the 90s, I remember people talking about this brilliant idea of a constructed worldwide language that everybody could learn and facilitate better communication. According to Wikipedia, which I totally checked today, uh, it was invented by a Polish linguist. So there you go. Um, if Esperanto really were a thing, I would totally do that. But uh, I think I would choose American Sign Language, you know, accessibility and being an ally and so on is so important. And I need to do a better job of that in my life <laughs> as it is. So I would choose that. I love that. I think um, ASL has been something that I've always wanted to learn as well. And I um, recently watched, there was a Netflix series um, um, about uh, deaf college students that I watched and realized like, wow, as a music teacher, this is a part of the world that I, I don't have enough exposure to, you know? I would probably choose Italian. It would make my job a little bit easier um, because there would be less arguments with my students over words that I definitely know the answer to. Cause I do actually definitely know what they are before I teach them, but teenagers, they just, they don't believe you no matter how well you know something. So if I could speak Italian fluently, then I could, well, not that I would ever curse at them, but Brady brings up an interesting point. Oh, I have your back on that. I can teach you some of those. 
my maiden name is Marilello. So on the surface, my initial answer would have been Italian, obviously. Um, I only know a little bit, um, not enough to be conversational. And I always wish I was. However, in thinking about this answer, um, I would have to say um, Vietnamese because of my job. Um, I work uh, at a high school that has a large international student population, the majority of which uh, typically come from Vietnam. And I just wish I could help them um, kind of ease into the transition a little bit. And it might be, you know, a bridge to help them feel more comfortable aside from like learning the basics to kind of say, I looked into this. Um, You know, I just wish I could be a little bit more helpful to them. And in answering my own question, I would have to say Spanish, actually, um, which I took French in school. So I kind of had an opportunity that could be considered a missed opportunity to, to speak Spanish. Um, but in my job as well, it's a big part of uh, what we do and what we programming that we sell. Um, our, I work in media sales and was part of um, NBC Universal. Uh, Telemundo is our, our sister uh, station. And so there's a very unique set of programming and what I do that would be really fun to be able to switch back and forth seamlessly. Yes, the question I'd ask is, do you connect as well with modern popular music as you do with the music you grew up with and became familiar with as a teenager? Uh, which might be oh, considering oldies now, but uh, do you connect with new popular music as well as you did with that when you were uh, much younger? Well, um, Elliot mostly exposing uh, a lot of Rush when I was growing up, which I'll chalk it up to Teenage Rebellion I now despise, but it opened up my eyes to a lot of that kind of world. So I was more into with like a lot of rock stuff than it was with like modern hip hop or whatever else is popular right now. So like a lot of like Queens of the Stone Age, stuff like that's kind of where my enjoyment lies now, which is very kind of removed from a lot of my peers. Jim, I totally love this question. It is really fun to think about. Um, In my case, it's probably yes and no in a weird way. So uh, I was raised in the church, and so the pop music I was sort of allowed to listen to was Sandy Patty and <clears throat> Jars of Clay and whatever. And uh, that doesn't have a lot of positive nostalgia for me anymore, I would say. I will definitely take, you know, the amazing artists of today who are reinventing some of those narratives even. Um, but on the other hand... <laughs> When I was a teenager, I loved Shania Twain, (laughs) and um, I still do. Uh, It's gotten a little bit more difficult in the last couple of years because of um, she stepped into some political nonsense as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, to that, I just say that don't impress me much. Drew, you're great. (laughs) Big fan. Um, so I have to stop laughing. I'm so glad that people are willing to be playful. So this is great. I also love this question. I feel like it was written just for me um, <laughs> because I uh, work as a music teacher and actually really um, get to specialize with all my students 
um, because I teach at a couple of different places uh, with popular music. So for me, um, the way that I feel about the music that I listened to when I was a teenager, I don't think that I was really listening to a lot of things that were it was all technically popular music because it wasn't classical, but it wasn't um, it wasn't what most teens my age, I think, listened to. Um, but what is so great now is that I get to sort of live through it in a different way with those pieces when I assign them to my students. Um, but I think that I might connect more with the things that I encounter right now because I get to see them and hear them through the voices of my students. And I get to hear why my kids are obsessed with them, which, um, changes the perspective because I already like my students. And then when I hear them going on and on and on about how, um, you know, Taylor Swift is changing the face of the world, I have my own feelings about her and her music and whether or not I connect to it. But it all changes when I see them sing it and see the response that they have to it and see the way that they connect with it. So in that way, I would say probably the music that I'm encountering now is more exciting to me. Um, especially because it's not all necessarily what's happening right now. But um, I think, you know, people like Billie Eilish and um, Jacob Blanks, Bishop Briggs, they're making music that I find real unending connection with. Um, But ask me in another 10 years, I might have a different answer. I also love this question because I love music. Love it, love it, love it so, so much. Um, in another life, I was on the radio. So um, now, oddly enough, swear to God, I can't even make this up. I was on a radio station for the only genre of music I do not like. I can't even make it up. I can't. It was, oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. Um, but for me, I feel like I had a stronger connection to the music from when I was younger because it music was such a big part of my life. It was in every single thing that I did. I was in theater and all this stuff. Um, and now I'm just like a full-time employee, mom, wife, softball coach. And I mean, the only time I really get to listen to music is when I'm singing Hamilton lyrics on the softball field. So it's kind of, it's kind of different now, you know, um, but oh, I just still love it. All, I mean, nothing's going to be 80s music. So there's that. So Nikki, inquiring minds want to know what's the genre of music you hate? Oh, you guys. It's country. Oh, oh, it was oh. Bad. you guys listen. I can't even make this up. I was on the radio, <laughs> and the number one song at the time was something called "I Want to Check You for Ticks," and I almost died. I <laughs> swear, you guys, I can't. It's even honestly it. a bop. I don't know what you're talking I can't, about. No. <laughs> My dad used to call in the radio station and request oh. it just so I could say it. Ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, I would have to say that I do also feel a connection more so with the music I grew up listening to. Um, I think, Hannah, you mentioned Taylor Swift, which really resonated with me because I feel like because she's like my age, we essentially grew up together, so to speak, right? Teardrops on my guitar was like first ever boyfriend, totally could relate, right? Whatever. 
now it's like as the older she gets, the more I honestly don't connect with her music as much. Um, but I think, um, you know, when we were younger, it was like you had to have the physical CD in your car and you could remember where you were going and who you were with. Um, it was just so much more of a focus, I think, to that point of you had time and you were um, had like the emotional connection with the artist and the song and, and could really play it back. As soon as you hear it, it takes you right back to, to where you were. So I would say um, this question does pose... I do think in 10 years from now, I'd probably have a much different answer. Uh, for now, that's how I would say I, I definitely resonate more with growing up to the, you know, with the music I listened to. I'd like to go back to what was previously said about the I Want to Check It For Tick song. <laughs> I want to write like a country album. It's like a concept album, but it's written by like an obsessed ex-lover who's just stalking this chick throughout the entirety of it and just gets progressively, like, worse and worse. Like, it starts off as, like, pretty normal, like, countries and it just goes, like, downhill, like, really steep. <laughs> Less bluegrass than highgrass? Sorry, that was terrible. I couldn't resist. Well, I did appreciate the nostalgia for having a physical CD in your hand. I have lots of vinyl in the next room. Does anybody remember that by any chance? We've got a basement full of it. Ah, very fortunate. Nice. What what prompted this question was that in driving to work and back and forth to work, I'm always on the 60s and 70s stations on Sirius, uh, you know, the, the, the satellite channel. And I've tried to listen to more modern music, but again, that connection isn't there. Perhaps it's because I had more time when I was younger to get to make that connection. And I think I'm going to try to work to change my current attitude, which is I grew up with a certain, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and uh, that crowd, you know, and Dylan, uh, you know, Bob Dylan and that crowd and make an effort to listen, even though my peers and the people I, I generally, you know, on a day-to-day basis associate with, they don't, you know, they don't make a connection with modern music. And we can all talk about, you know, those friends of mine of the same age, we can all talk and relate to the music we grew up with. None of us have made the effort to really listen to modern music and, uh, or to modern popular music. And I'd like to do that, but I wanted to find out if my experience was common uh, you know, the common experience or not. And uh, again, that is my experience. I do not connect very well with anything uh, after Bob Dylan or or people in the 70s doing the bump. If anybody remembers that. So that's my answer. Something you just said, Jim, made me think about how maybe the way of enjoying also changes as we get older. Like, for example, there's a contemporary artist Uh, Bruno Mars, who I love, who has a lot of like Motown, James Brown influences. And it's really fun to listen to modern music and draw that connection of, I remember that. And I remember the way it made me feel. And now there's someone reinventing it and reimagining it. So maybe it's, you know, there's sort of that pleasure of seeing the iteration. Well, it, you know, I do enjoy Bluegrass. Blues and that, you know, jazz, uh, Chicago 
blues and, you know, uh, uh, New Orleans, uh, you know, New Orleans jazz, uh, New Orleans blues. And what you just said is interesting. I wasn't aware that it's still being used as a basis or that is being used as a basis or uh, is the hist- it is being incorporated into more modern music. And that gives me more incentive to listen to that, to make that effort. Thank you. You know, what's also interesting is on the flip side of that, you take someone like the Beatles, right? And how for like my parents, that resonates so deeply with them. And even when I hear a song, it resonates with me different through their lens. So it's kind of cool to see from generations. Well, I didn't necessarily grow up in that era or even really like listening to them like the way that they did. I can still appreciate it as being such talented, you know, valuable, timeless music um, and kind of get that like secondhand perspective, which is pretty cool. I tried to listen to Benny Goodman, which was, or, and that generation. And again, I've had a hard time with that, but that was my parents. Okay. And I did hear that. Uh, and I have an easier time with that because I was hearing it when I was younger, as opposed to more modern, you know, the more modern music that I have not had that experience with that exposure to, but I know what you mean. Uh, that was important to them. That was the war. And that. That uh, that era, uh, I didn't have that emotional tie that they did, and perhaps those emotional ties that we all that you mentioned, boyfriend or that somebody mentioned boyfriends and physical, and uh, you know mental growing, that uh, is part of that nostalgia that exists. Well, I very happily will send music suggestions to anyone, especially if you're interested in trying to find something that you can relate to now. That's a lot of, um, it's a lot of what I love to do. And it's a lot of what I do trying to help people connect with, um, the things that, that they maybe haven't had connections with in music before. Cause like anything else, the more that you study it, the more that it's, um, becomes, uh, easier to understand and build connections between things. Um, but what a fantastic conversation. So I think we are ready to move to Brady's question. Okay, so question I got accepted is: Do the things look for you? Sorry, do the things you look forward to change as you get older? Um, I think they do change. I at, at least the specific things change. Uh, I have a tendency to be a little sarcastic and flippant, so I'll try to be earnest on this one, but. Uh, I think the feeling of longing and anticipating something is always familiar, even if the thing you're anticipating changes over time. So like when I was a teenager, uh, like many, I was so looking forward to getting a driver's license and the freedom in my mind anyway, (laughs) of being able to do what I wanted and enjoy the things I wanted to enjoy and, you know, all that kind of thing. And now I look forward to naps, (laughs) you know, totally different, but in some ways it's exactly the same. I want to do what I want to (laughs) do. I want to feel free and not, you know, stuck reading emails and whatever. So I look forward to naps. It's different, but it's the same. That's my answer. 
I would say for me, the things that I look forward to are the same as they were when I was younger. I always really looked forward to Thanksgiving because it meant that I got to see my mom's family. I always looked forward to Christmas or the summer when we would go to Chicago and get to see my dad's side of the family. And um, I was always looking forward to whatever show I was about to be in. And now I'm looking forward to whatever show I'm about to produce (laughs) or that my kids are about to be in. And um, I am looking forward to the next time. I, I think we all are this year, certainly looking forward to the next time that we get to be with our families and hug them and, uh, and you know, share that time together. Um, both of you, Drew and Hannah, like I have the same answer combined. Um, it is so good. Um, so first, Drew, I have to like side note, tell you this hilarious story. So I work at a school and it's pre-K through six. Um, in the building that my office is in. And our pre-K through kindergarten has nap time. It's called rest and digest. And never, not one child, except for my son, ever wanted to sleep. And I don't understand that. Because if somebody told me to please lay down after lunch and take a nap, I literally would do it in like two seconds. So I think that all the time, Drew. So I'm like, so with you, like looking forward to that downtime, kind of. Um, but for me, um, I'm with Hannah. So I'm always looking forward to those special moments that we know, like Christmas and family time and things like that. Um, but it's different now because I look forward to those things to see my children experience it. So it's not really, um, so much about me. It's how are Lucy and Eric going to like Christmas? So it's just different. Um, but I totally agree. It is really all those same things that I've always looked forward to. It's just different now. I have to agree. I think Drew, you summed it up so well because the long term, um, you know, is the same feeling of what you want and long-term perspective and goals. But I think in the short term, it does change. Because like we all said, you, I have so much appreciation for a night of staying in rather than going out uh, or alone time or a nice bottle of wine over, you know, whatever. So I think short term, the time that we spend and what we look forward to does change. But like we said, those, those big special emotional moments that we will always recognize and appreciate and value. I think um, like Christmas and all those or seeing a family member, um, those types of things never really change too much. I'm going to disagree with what you just said. I see long-term goals and short-term goals. The short-term goals I see as being pretty constant, seeing family, seeing family going on vacation. I've always considered the long-term goals, you know, or viewed long-term goals as things like when I was in third grade, getting to high school and graduating from high school as being a long-term goal. Uh, when in high school, you know, getting into college, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. So I've seen the long-term, that which I anticipated as long-term, that changed as I achieved what I was anticipating and looking forward to. That's, that's one way in which my view of what my goals were or what I was looking forward to was changing and changed as I achieved those goals that I had, you know, anticipated uh, meeting. There are some goals, however, that have changed because as I got older, I hope I became a little smarter. By that, I mean, I did want to try skydiving, okay? 
I got too smart to want to to want to do that, you know. Uh, so I, I let that goal change and that that area of anticipation change. I can live without it very nicely. But as far as the overview, you know, as you go through life, you are you are meeting, you know, you're doing those things that you anticipated. And therefore, you anticipate new things. And I think I think that that changes as you go through life. And again, your perspective also changes as you get older. So there's uh I think there's always there is change in the long-term goals. Yes, the short-term goals of visiting with family and enjoying that part of your life. That that to me is kind of a constant. But those things which I'm anticipating achieving, that's what's changed. So in my personal experience, my one of my most formative years of my entire life has been majority robbed from me, I'm going to say. It's been a serious odyssey. In fact, I'd go as far as to say is the winter of 2021 was the lowest point in my life. It probably will be for quite some time. So the things I have looked forward to definitely changed as I've gotten older. Now it's I wish I could go and be outside and do something, anything for quite a while now. Although I say that I have found a few workarounds. For example, me and a couple of my friends have been doing these thought experiments that'll devolve into these whole like scenarios that just go on for far too long. One of the more recent ones was these things called the uh, Borse Monsters, which is essentially this combination of like a horse standing on its hind legs with like, I don't know how to describe it, like a lobster claws almost, but the size of a house. And they're like extremely carnivorous. And we just did try to figure out like if they just like spawned in in like Manhattan, how how fast, not if, but when the entire human race would be extinguished. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to kill a giant horse house? I don't think so. That's a great and terrifying point, Brady. Um, can I add one other thing? After hearing everybody with their sort of sweet and lovely desires to be near family and so on, uh, I'm feeling like maybe I need to unpack something. Can any of you recommend a good counselor? What a fantastic segue. True. I'm a one-man volleyball team. What can I say? Okay, so my question uh, is a counselor question. Um, does being close to a counselor in your own life affect the way you relate to other people in your life? I was so excited to see this question and so interested in all of your responses with this because it's something that, you know, um, I've never had the experience of getting to talk to other people really about. Um, but I think, I don't know, I kind of struggled with it because I wonder if it is the experience of being close with a counselor that affects the way that I relate to people, because I don't know really what things about my dad make him a counselor and what things about my dad make him my dad, right? Um, and then as I thought about it more, I thought, truthfully, I have not known you very much to be a counselor. I've known my dad to be a teacher. And I've seen the way that he interacts with other people in that context. Um, and so I think when I think of the way that I choose to move through the world and the way that I infuriate my teenagers by saying to them, well, is there anything that you can do to motivate change in your life? <laughs> um, that that is very much sort of the way that 
that I was raised and that that I think has maybe some things to do with him being a counselor, but most of it has to do with the person that he is, which is, you know, someone who's very compassionate and very um, driven and someone who sees uh, change capable within self instead of expecting change from others. Oh, I don't even know where to go with this one. I have like so many options, you guys. Um, so first, let's just start with, um, <clears throat> okay, so you guys know Eric, and he's like super chill all the time. And I'm like on a hundred because I'm Italian and we're like, everything's like a big deal, right? Um, but nothing gets him rattled ever. Um, so for me, he's rubbing off on me and my family now thinks I'm boring. You know, they're like, what happened to you? Because now we're just all calm in my house. And it's just, he just has brought this different, you know, vibe to everything. And, um, you know, even to, so I'm like a chronic people pleaser. Okay. And it's bad. It's bad. Like really. And, um, I had this hor like, I don't want to get too deep, but I had like this horrible, like sickness. And everyone would ask how I was. And I'd be like, oh, I'm so fine. I'm fine. It's so good. And then I would cry at night because nobody really like cared how I was doing. And he would be like, um, hello, you are telling everybody you're fine. So that kind of perspective, um, I can now use that for everyone. Like, what are they telling me versus how are they acting um, is kind of something that um, really, I, I take away from him amongst a million other things because he's incredible. So this is an interesting question because I think for all of you who especially know Gina and maybe don't know me really at all, from the outside, we quite literally look identical, like doppelgangers. Um, but I think as sisters and growing up so close, there are definitely things that are innately different about both of us in terms of personality. And I think part of these traits or characteristics uh, lead Gina to being, you know, such a great counselor that she is. And for one, makes it very clear that I could never succeed in this industry. And I have so much respect for all of you. Um, I, th I think there have been so many times where I tried to reframe the situation or the picture and think, how would Gina handle this? Or what would Gina say about this to kind of bring me back down um, to that calm, you know, emotional, intelligent way of, of looking at things? So, you know, when you ask if it affects the way you relate to other people, I would say I still relate to them the same, but if anything, I have um, a little bit more of an understanding and empathy for, um, kind of like what Nikki just said, you know, what's really going on and kind of how you frame the reaction, so to speak. So I think it gives all of us even a little bit of an upper hand to, um, be emotionally intelligent when we interact with people in, in situations throughout our lives. So for that, I'm grateful. You know what, like just off of what you're saying, um, our daughter, when she was in kindergarten, there was someone who was acting out and she looked at her teacher and said, oh, they must have something going on at home. 
So like, I mean, so this is what Eric has been, you know, teaching the kids. So even for them now, um, I mean, she's in fourth grade, literally, she's like exactly like him. So she's still like using these, those things, you know what I mean? It just, it gives you that kind of view of the world, a different perspective. Thank you. That's a, this is a hard question for me to answer because the two people I'm closest with are both counselors, my wife and my daughter. So, you know, it isn't as though one acts differently towards me or there's any substantial difference other than one would expect from the difference between, you know, a, a wife and a daughter, as opposed to if they, if they were, had different professions and different, uh, different out, you know, totally different outlooks. So it's difficult for me to say, but I can, you know, with that having a counselor, you know, having a relationship with a counselor has changed my relationship with other people. Can't really say, I, I, I really don't have a baseline on which to, uh, you know, on which to derive a decent answer to that. Although I'm sure it, it, I'm sure it's been helpful to me in all, in a lot of respects, and I could use the help in a lot of ways. So I'll let it go at that. Well, given my father's account, it's been really helpful getting that perspective when it comes to just general ways I interact with other people because we both have ADHD. So it's been helpful having somebody in my corner who understands how my brain works. Because my mother, you know, I love her to death, but she and I are wired like very differently. We're basically polar opposites. And that leads to a lot of friction and things getting lost in translation. And it gets kind of ugly when we're locked in the house together for 15 months. So it's been interesting being able to have somebody else who can translate things the way I think and be able to help me express them in ways that people aren't going to live with me. I just like skinned a dog or something. Cause I have had moments like that where just the way I think the world works is just not how it is. So I'll say something slightly differently and people look at me kind of weird. And then I'm like, what did I do? And then it just becomes way more awkward than it needs to be. So it's been nice being able to just like bridge that gap, so to speak. These are all such interesting answers. And like Nikki and I maybe sort of uniquely met our counselor people sort of later in life. And so, you know, I was already 19 or 20 uh, when Jen and I met and became friends and, uh, you know, we're kind of having adventures. Uh, and now t- more than 20 years later, nobody does math. I definitely see a difference as I've walked my own developmental journey of figuring people out and myself out and how the two mix. She has, I hear her voice in my head, like some, Gabriella said something kind of like that. And I totally resonated with, you know, I can hear her sort of reminding me to be generous with other people's process, you know? And so I guess maybe for me, it's a sharper contrast of how learning those secondhand skills sort of becomes a superpower of having tools, however rudimentary, to navigate a weird world. So I love it. I'm very grateful for it. What TV show would you like to be a part of? This was easy. I am a Bayside Tiger 100%. I am saved by the bell all the way. I'm there. I'm at, we're having lunch. I'm like, so I can't, I mean, AC Slater, we're going to the prom. Like this was so easy for me. I didn't even like really have to think about it, but I mean, if I like legitimately could be on a TV show, um, I would say American Idol just cause it's music and you know, I love music. Um, but my real answer would be saved by the bell. Nikki, I knew I loved you. You're a Slater girl. Same. Um, Okay. So for me, I had a little fun with this one. I would say, 
I recently watched Bridgerton and I would like to go back in time. So I'm channeling Bridgerton, the crown type of vibes, um, especially because I love fashion and I would love to wear a ball gown every day for breakfast. Yes. Love it. I loved Bridgerton. Oh my gosh. Okay. I've been thinking about this in terms of not only, you know, what TV show I'd like, I might be a part of, but you know, a character that I, I, would appreciate in that show and appreciate knowing. And I keep going back to the West Wing, a guy named Toby Ziegler, that was his name, who was a very human person, very intelligent person, and was good at having people do what they needed to do by giving them good information. But the West Wing is kind of, again, that's an old TV show. I haven't had time to watch uh, much TV lately except for the news and getting depressed, you know, that way, I'd rather watch The West Wing. So being part of that and seeing people in political power actually caring about, and I hope I'm not treading on anybody's politics, please, but caring about what the country was doing in response to what their actions were, I, I, that's something that uh, is too rare these days, I think, in these days of polarized politics. And it makes me feel good to remember that that's what politics that affects all of us is really all about. And that would be the TV show that I'd, I want to be a part of and contribute to their efforts. Favorite TV show. I'm going to tell you, I don't watch a lot of serialized television anymore. I've kind of fallen off of Netflix after that whole controversy back in like September. Honestly, the whole like sitcom genre, really, I feel like I would be a good fit for that. And as a matter of fact, one of my friends is writing a uh, play like a one act called My Life is a Sitcom, where it's basically a uh, classroom setting where the main character is trying to convince everybody who lives in a sitcom and everyone, every student is based off like a certain trope and it's filmed in front of like a live studio audience and like people can hear like the applause and everything and they're going crazy, but it's just him trying to explain why it's all happening and what role everyone fits into it. And there's one character called Jeffrey who based on me, who's like this crazed conspiracy theorist who's trying to explain away all the stuff the writers are doing with just like the lizard people or like the freed Martian states or whatever. So I think I'd take that kind of role as being someone who's completely out there, like detached from reality, but like funny enough, you're not like terrified, you know? I totally want to watch this show, Brady. So well, I'll, I'll tell you, actually, we are um, we're recording it this week and we'll post it. I can send you guys a link if you're interested. Yes, please. Shameless plug there. I want to see you talk about the Boris monster. Absolutely. In. Uh, for me, I like I loved what Jim was saying, and I wish that I had thought of that. So well done, Jim. But my answer is, I think it would be really fun to be on The Amazing Race. You know, that idea of travel and adventure and puzzle solving and, you know, it being absolutely crazy and being good TV sounds like a lot of fun to me. And I wonder if, I mean, we're in public right now. This is going on the internet. So uh, I think Jen should join me. What do you all think? Definitely, yes. <laughs> all right, peer pressure, Jen. You know, text me. Let's figure yeah. it out. I've auditioned five times. Oh. Just FYI. Oh, Without I feel him? so left out. Oh, rude, Jen. Well, um, I appreciated hearing everyone's responses. I wasn't sure how this would go. Um, and I wasn't expecting so many people to talk about fictional shows. I actually was thinking like of nonfiction as the um, premise for it. But for me, I immediately thought, well, I just would love to be a fly on the wall um, for something like Top Chef or RuPaul's Drag Race, those competition-based shows that 
are things that I just would be fascinated to get to watch. But if I were to appear as myself on something, there's a Trisha Yearwood has a cooking show called Trisha Southern Kitchen. And um, she makes all different kinds of food, but usually with a Southern spin, which means most of it's casseroles, which is cool. Um, (laughs) You know, she'll make a Greek casserole and then an Italian casserole. And then, you know, there's lots of spoiler alert. It's a casserole. Um, But (laughs) she's very funny and uh, I love to cook. So I thought that's something that I would really love to do. And also whenever she has a singer on the show, which is frequent, they will take some sort of opportunity amidst the cooking to sing together. And that was something that I thought, well, if I did that, then I get to sing with someone that I really think is really quite cool. So that, you know, seemed like the best of of many worlds to me. So we have time for a final shot question. And here it is. If your doppelganger weren't a counselor, what job do you think they'd be great at? Okay, so um, <clears throat> my real my answer would be: I think Eric would be the most incredible, like FBI detective, because he has one emotion, and it's this all the time like all the time. So he would be so good at like talking to people. Yeah. Like 100%. Um, he would say that he would be a stand up comic cause he thinks he's hilarious. Um, so like when he was teaching, um, one time he came home and he was like, Oh gosh, the students are laughing at me so hard. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're laughing at you. Um, but he was, no, he was so certain that they were like cracking up at him and he was making everybody laugh. Well, then he gets his reviews back and literally runs into the house. Like literally he's not a runner. Okay. You know what? He's a reader. He's not a runner. So he's running into the house and he like throws these reviews at me and almost every single one said that he was hilarious. So now I must always tell people that Erica's funny. So that's my answer. I would say detective. He would say comedian. I like that adding two parts to the question, like what we say and then what they would say and how they differ really. Um, For Gina, I think I have like a simple answer and then I have a way more complicated answer, but I feel like my best answer would be that she would be an excellent writer and author. I think she could write a book that could interest pretty much anyone. Um, And she has a really good way with words that I, again, didn't get that gene. So I often text her being like, what do I say about this? Or how do we handle this? Um, And so I think, you know, like a word for the wise that she could really write things that would connect with people. I think Stephanie would be good at her, the enthusiasm Stephanie would bring to anything, I think would, would be a big help in just for her to do anything else, uh, take on any other position. She wanted to be a lawyer at one point. Drew, you mentioned doing puzzles is something that you'd enjoy, uh, you know, if you were on a TV program. Well, Steph enjoys puzzles. The kind of puzzle of why, you know, how do we look at the structure of the law and apply it to this situation? And I think that's what she would, she would bring uh, and she can bring bring it very well. She's good at logically going through step by step, going through the steps 
one after the other to, to get to the bottom of a question. But I spoke to her about being a lawyer and, uh, you know, there are certain moral values that we all try to keep up. So we, we just, <laughs> she found that out herself. That's a joke, by the way, please. Okay. <laughs> but I think she, she, would, she would have made a good lawyer uh, because of that enthusiasm and uh, that kind of logical step-by-step thinking that she brings to a lot of. Okay, so I'm sure most of you already know Elliot, so trying to decipher this one's gonna be a bit of a challenge. If he wasn't a counselor, it had to be something interpersonal. I would say probably stand up comedian because he and I share the same kind of like psychotic, like stream of consciousness thought process, which would work really well for like on the fly kind of like crowd interaction, like crowd work and stuff. Well, Jim, you know, they call lawyers counselors also. So, you know. Excellent thought. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I'm not sure that Jen would agree with this either, sort of a la what we think versus what they think. But I think she would be an outstanding legislator. You know, somebody who listens and cares and does the hard work. Um, and so I think she'd be, you know, cook for Congress. Let's, you know, start it here. Um, I don't know <laughs> what she would say she would want to do, but I think whatever she would choose to do, she'd be really good at. I totally agree, Drew. I think that Jen could convince people to uh, to to do pretty much anything. <laughs> um, and I mean that exclusively as a compliment. So I think you're just such a easy talker, like easy to understand and communicate. Well, uh, like I just demonstrated so well, like talking real good. <laughs> well, I think that if my dad was not a counselor, he would be doing the job that he kind of does for free, um, which is uh, he would be working at a genius bar at the Apple store. And he would be helping people patiently to move through their technology crises. And he would be gently convincing them to buy the latest model of anything that Apple has created because he sincerely believes that it's the best. Um, and he would also be finding ways to sell them on tech that they didn't know they needed, but he understood they need, that they needed before they knew. So thanks to the Doppelganger Squad, James, Nikki, Gabriella, Brady, and Drew. You can find out more about the regular squad with show links at circularfiringsquad.net. We have a new show called Counseling Delphi which is a monthly video live streaming show on Sunday nights. The live stream component will allow viewers to be able to submit questions for consideration of the panel. Interested viewers are also encouraged to submit questions for the show through the show website, counselingdelphi.net. Shows will be available for later viewing with real-time transcription. The audio from the live stream will be converted to audio podcasts to be released to all major podcast services. Our theme music is from Menage Quad, Real Swing Shet. That's it for this episode of the Circular Firing Squad. Ready, fire, aim.